All right, so today's going to be a little bit of fun. We had two uh, weeks before we started this series, and usually, as you know, if you've been with us long enough, we, we go in series. We usually take a whole month and we'll walk through a particular topic, and not too often do we have Sundays where we're just going to do a standalone message. So I kind of planned it out. Last week, my dad came and preached, and then this week, I kind of just had the opportunity to really talk about whatever I felt like I wanted to and whatever I felt like where some of us were at. And coincidentally, over the past few weeks, um, most of the counseling that I've done and most of the conversations that I've had have been on marriage. And um, so my wife and I were talking a few weeks ago about this Sunday, and we're like, why don't we just do um, a message on marriage? How many of you guys know, just show of hands, how many of you guys are married and you would say marriage at times can be difficult? Anybody? See, look, everybody raise their hand for that one. I ask you questions about other stuff and nobody ever raises their hand. So everybody's honest about this one. Um, so here's my goal this morning. I want to get you talking about stuff in marriage that you don't typically like to talk about. How many of you know that there's like just some uncomfortable topics in marriage that maybe you've been holding on to for a long time, but because the conversation may be awkward with your spouse, you avoid it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just like an awkward conversation, like, like your sex life, right? You're like, okay, I really would like to mention something about this, but like, how do I even start that conversation? Like, so babe, I was thinking, uh, like, how do, we, how do we get there? Or how do we talk about like our health with our spouse? How, how do we talk about our past or maybe our offenses that we have? Maybe our relationship is not where we really want it to be because we're actually not communicating about the things that we really need to communicate. So here's my goal today. My goal today is not for you to get in the car and get in a huge argument with your spouse and talk about everything that you've ever wanted to talk about, okay? My, my goal for you today is to get in the car, go home, pray, seek the Lord, and start having some of the conversations that you have been avoiding, shoving down, pushing aside, sweeping under the rug for a long time, because chances are the reason that you're not having these conversations, one, you feel that they're awkward, and two, the reason that you feel like you're at a bad place in your marriage, or maybe you're not at a bad place, but you just feel like you're not at a place where you want to be, um, typically it's because you're not communicating the things that you need to communicate about. Um, the majority of marriage problems are actually communication problems. Um, they're communication problems. And there's something different between communication and talking. Okay? Talking is a natural human instinct. It's something that all of us do. We all know how to talk, but very few of us know how to communicate. So let me explain the difference. Talking is this. How is your day? Good. <laughs> what do you want for dinner? Popeyes. Um, how was your job and how's it going? Oh, it's going great. My boss was, you know, average or whatever. Or, or let's take it a little bit more personal. Hey, do you want to have sex tonight? No, not really. <laughs> That's talking. Okay, communicating looks something like this. Hey, I would like to have sex tonight, but, you know, I really don't feel like it because lately I've felt disconnected from you, and that's the reason that I am withdrawing. What do you think about that? And so all of a sudden that goes into a conversation and we start communicating and we start working through solutions. Talking is just something that we do as natural human beings. When we're communicating, it is words that we're using trying to get to a resolve, trying to get to a solution. But unfortunately, the thing that happens most often in marriage is talking. 
are yelling, <laughs> are arguing, and, and oftentimes it's because we have things that we're not communicating about, because we have things that we're shoving, because we have things that we're pushing down, because if we're honest, they're just awkward conversations. Or we make the dangerous um, assumption that everything's okay. How many of you have ever just walked into the room and you just assume, assume like, me and my spouse, we're good? Like, you just assume it, and all of a sudden, like, five minutes later, you're like, oh my God, something is not good between us. You made a wrong assumption. I love this quote by Henry Winkler, and he says this, assumptions are the termites of relationships. Assumptions are the termites of relationships. See, in marriage, assumptions kill intimacy. In marriage, assumptions get you in trouble. If you just assume that your wife was okay with you being late, you are probably wrong, right? Ah, oh, she'll be fine. I'll be two hours late. She'll handle the kids. Don't worry about it. I just, you just assume. True story. I've done that before. doesn't go well. But here's the truth. When we don't communicate our frustrations, they don't just disappear. Ever notice this? Like, we just assume that everything's okay, and sometimes we walk into the house just hoping, like, just my, my wife will just overlook it, and we'll forget about it, and tomorrow will be a new day, and it'll just be over. But the truth is, it's never over. If you don't communicate about things, what's happening? You're either stuffing it, you're getting bitter about something, something is going on in your heart. The issues you stuff don't disappear. Eventually, they will reveal themselves. How do they reveal themselves? They reveal themselves in arguments. You ever had an argument with your spouse about one particular thing, and then by the time the argument was done, you argued about ten things, and you don't even remember what the original argument started about? <laughs> right? Why does that happen? That happens because you're not communicating about certain things and your spouse sees that as an opportunity to let out all their frustrations in that moment. See, the things that you stuff will eventually reveal themselves. They, view them, they reveal themselves in trust issues. They reveal themselves in sexual resistance and arguments in a short temper with your kids, work performance, why? Because it's in your mind. You're thinking about it. It's something that has not been resolved. So think of it this way. If marriage was a house, then communication is the foundation upon which everything else sits. If you're not communicating about the nitty-gritty issues of life, then your foundation has termites. Then your foundation has termites. A little interesting fact about termites. The average colony of termites can eat one foot of two by four in six months. Okay? So, so what do we realize about this? Termites eat your foundation very slow. Like it could be years, years before you ever come to the realization that you have a problem right? It could be seven, eight years down the road, and then one day you're walking, and your foot goes through the floor, and you're like, what in the world? How in the world did that get rotten? But you did not know that for years, termites had been eating away at your foundation. So, so look at it this way. Termites in your marriage is lack of communication. When we avoid certain conversations just because they're awkward, or just because we know that it's going to be a long conversation, or we avoid the conversation because we know that it's not going to be one conversation, it's going to be many conversations. See, the interesting thing about termites is they actually eat the wood, they don't rot the wood. But, but the truth is, they expose the wood to the elements, which therefore it rots. So rot in your marriage is bitterness. 
If, if termites is communication, then rot is bitterness. Because here's what happens. When you don't talk, when you don't communicate about certain things, your spouse is getting bitter. See, when you shove things down, when you push things down, when you push it in the corner, when you don't want to talk about it, it doesn't just go away. It begins to affect their heart in ways that you could never even imagine. It's why when you get in an argument about where you want to go eat, hey, where do you want to go eat? Well, McDonald's. No, I don't want to eat McDonald's. We ate that last week. Well, let's go to Burger King. Well, you just pick. Where do you want to go? And then you pull in the Popeyes and you say, I don't want to go here, but you just said you wanted me to pick. So what's going on? And by the time, like, you were originally arguing about something petty, about food, about where you wanted to go eat, and then you find yourself in the middle of the argument, and you're arguing about your work and your life and how much you can't stand when your spouse, and you're like, what? Where did that come from? We were just talking about cheeseburgers, and now we're talking about our sex life and how you hate me. What is going on? How does that happen? It happens because we're bitter, because we're stuffing things. See, the termites don't cause the rot. They eat away the wood, exposing it to the elements. Now, here's an interesting fact about termites. When eating wood, termites are also making tunnels inside the wood in order to help foster and grow their colonies, each of which contain about 60,000 termites. So here's what happens. Here's what I want you to understand. When you stuff things and you don't communicate about them, you are allowing other issues to fester in your marriage. So one issue, you don't realize it, just one unresolved issue, one issue that you don't communicate about, that you don't talk about, you're giving room for other issues to come in. Woodrow Kroll said it this way, he says, when bitterness is the root, imagine what the fruit might be. See, the reason that you might not see any fruit in your marriage or in your relationship right now is because of the fact that maybe you're just bitter at each other. And and usually you're bitter because you're just not communicating about particular things. Hebrews 12, 15 puts it this way. It says, See to it that no one falls to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and it may become defiled. See, there is this vicious cycle that happens in marriage. Um, This cycle, this game that we play, this thing that we go around and around and around with when we're not talking. So let me give it to you real quick. When we're not communicating about the nitty-gritty issues of life, it leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to stuffing and stiff-arming each other. Stiff-arming leads to unresolved issues. Unresolved issues leads to lack of intimacy. And lack of intimacy leads to believing the lie that the grass is greener on the other side with her or him. It leads to a place, a frame of mind, a thinking that is dangerous to get to all because, listen to me, because you're not communicating about things. And the only way to break the cycle is to start communicating about the issues that you have been avoiding. Now, here's the problem. So what's going to happen today is the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you some things that you need to communicate about, some things that you need to talk about. But the problem is, the reason that oftentimes we don't talk about them or we don't communicate about them is because we just don't know how to. We don't know. It's not like you ever went to, you know, you went to high school and in 12th grade they're like, here's how you talk to a woman. Like, nobody ever told you that, right? Or, hey, here's how you communicate with men. Or here's how you, when you're in this issue in marriage, this is what you do. 
Um, oftentimes, we just don't know how to have that conversation. We know that it's like the hanging carrot. We know that it's there. We know that we need to address the issue. We know we need to talk about it, but we avoid it because we don't know how to. It's hard. So I want to give you three ways real quick, some psychology real quick. Three ways on how to communicate well. Number one, open the conversation by gently asking for permission when you want to talk about a big issue. Open the conversation by gently asking for permission. So this is what I mean by this. Hey, babe, I have some things I want to tell you. Is this a good time? Is this a good time? See, my wife and I used to have this argument all the time because, like, I would come through the door and she's waiting for me at the door. She's like, bleh. <laughs> and, and it never worked out so well because I'm like, man, I just got off of work. I mean, kids are all around my leg. And then you want to tell me all these different, you know, how your day and how bad it was. So what we had to do is we had to just realize, okay, when I get home for 30 minutes, I'll play with the kids. I'll settle in. We're not going to talk about anything really super important. And we give ourselves some time to settle in for me to kind of get into this home balance because I'm trying to get out of the work mindset. And I come inside and, okay, now it's a good time. So we got to start by asking, hey, I have some things that I want to tell you. Is this a good time? Now, if your spouse says, yes, this is a good time, the conversation shifts from emotional outburst to productive communication. Because here's what most of us do. I, 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 need, I need to tell you something, and I'm just going to tell you right now. Whether you want to hear it or not, I don't care if it's a good time. <laughs> right? But the problem is we don't ever solve anything that way. See, what we're doing is we're talking and we're not communicating. Remember, communicating is words that are offering a solution. See, psychologists actually have proven this, and, and you don't even need a psychologist to tell you this. You just evaluate your own marriage for a moment and, and see if I'm right on this. In an argument, the brain is hijacked of its ability to reason and listen, and your partner can't hear you. Did you know that? Like when you're shouting, when you're yelling, when you're arguing, when it's a bad time, there is something in your partner's brain that goes off. <laughs> so like women, when, you're, when your husband is like, she's like, did you hear that? You're like, uh, what did you say again? <laughs> There is something in your brain that physically shuts off because what happens? All of a sudden, all you feel is I'm a target and I'm being attacked and I need to throw up a defense mechanism. You're like, oh my God, she's launching rockets, fire nukes back. Like You got to do something, right? So in that moment, you're not looking for solutions. In that moment, you feel like I got to stand guard. I got to stand my ground. I've got to be defensive. But giving your spouse the choice to engage in the conversation, what does it do? It puts you on even ground. Okay, so I just asked you if it was okay if we could have this conversation. You said yes, that you were ready to have this conversation. It was the right time to have this conversation. So now let's have a productive conversation. So number one, open the conversation by gently asking permission. That word gently is very important. Okay? Hey, babe, I need to have a conversation with you. Can you have it right now? Uh... See, timing and tone can be everything. Number two, clearly and calmly state your complaint and your desired alternative. <laughs> clearly and calmly state your complaint and your desired alternative. So, so here's what this looks like. Hey, babe, I don't like it when you criticize me in front of my friends. Or I, I don't like when you correct me 
in front of the kids. It, it embarrasses me. It makes me feel inferior. But I don't have a problem with you correcting me. I don't, I don't have a problem with you calling me out of things. But if you could, it would help me if you pulled me aside, like in private, when we weren't in front of anybody, and you just said, hey, babe, when you do that, it kind of embarrasses me. So do you think when you just pull me aside, like that, that would be helpful for me? You see how that's working towards a solution? But what ends, up, what, what ends up happening usually in this situation, you know, you're making a fool of yourself and your spouse is embarrassed and you're like, stop it, you idiot, you're making me look dumb. <laughs> and all of a sudden your spouse feels like degraded. They feel like you just outed them in front of everybody else. And so what do they do? They fire back in defensiveness. And you don't even know it. By the time you get home, you're angry at each other and you don't even know why. And usually it's because you both offended each other. So clearly and calmly state your complaint and your desired alternative. Here's what Claire and I have had to work to do. Don't complain about something without some kind of solution. (laughs) You've got to say, hey, look, babe, I've been praying about this. I've been thinking about this. I think if you presented it this way, that it would probably help me. I think that I would probably hear you better if you said it this way. And look, sometimes your solution may be the wrong solution, but at least you're thinking about it. At least you're not just voicing complaints. Because here's what, here's what your spouse hears when all you do is offer complaints is they think that they're a terrible person and that you just complain about them all the time and that, that you're not looking for a resolution. But when you say, when you complain about something, hey, I don't like it when you do this, but here's a the solution, they feel like, okay, we're working towards a resolve, trying to solve some things. And number three, this one is huge. The person receiving the complaint must repeat the complaint back to the other person. Repeat it back. So this will ensure you end up talking about the issue that was brought up rather than a thousand other things that you shouldn't be talking about in that moment. So this seems simple, but I promise you it's a whole lot more difficult than we realize. Why is it difficult? It's difficult because there's distortion and defensiveness usually when somebody is complaining about something towards you. So here's the truth. You don't have to agree or respond to the complaint. You just need to hear it. Sometimes you don't have to agree with it. Sometimes you just need to repeat it back and say, okay, babe, so I hear what you're saying is that you're frustrated whenever I call you out in front of my friends and you don't want me to do that again. Okay, I heard you. I'm going to try to work on that. And you, you may walk away and say, man, I didn't like the way she said that or I, think, I don't think it was such a big deal. But what you need to do is you need to hear it because if you're not hearing what your spouse is saying, that you're not working towards solutions. And that's why oftentimes we don't make any progress. There's a doctor and he says it this way. He says, when couples learn the skills to talk to each other in a different way, the bigger issues can get some airtime too. Meaning this, oftentimes when we're just talking at each other, we're not communicating. We're not working towards a solution. We talk about tons of little things that we're frustrated at and we never work on the bigger issue. We talk about, well, I hate when you leave your laundry on the floor. You didn't put gas in the car when I went to the store, and I had to get out in the pouring rain and put gas in the car. And we talk about all those little things, and we're not talking about the big issue. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about some issues that I think, personally, that I think that a lot of couples avoid. A lot of couples don't like to talk about. So I'm going to just throw out some topics. I'm just going to be honest. There's going to be some, some of this conversation. It might get a little awkward, okay? But you need to hear it. If we can't talk about awkward things in church, where else are we going to talk about it? Everybody else is comfortable out there talking about it, right? So we can talk about it in here. And, and we're going to talk about it in here because it's important for you to talk about these things. Now, 
all the things that I, that I list, um, there's like seven or eight more that I could add to this list. I'm well aware of that, but just for sake of time, I can't dive through all of them. So here's some of the nitty-gritty issues that when you leave here today that I would like you to start having some conversations with about your spouse. And I think that if you just start communicating about them, it could change your marriage. Number one, work-life rhythm. Work-life rhythm. Now, I chose that word rhythm very carefully. I didn't say work-life balance. So so let me just... um, like, annihilate this myth real quick, okay? There is no such thing as balance. Balance does not exist. We, we talk about it all the time. It's like, I'm just trying to balance my life. Have you ever in your life had everything in perfect balance? Where I'm, I'm giving 20% of my time and energy to work, and I'm giving 20% of my time and energy to my family, and I'm giving 20% of my time and energy to my... Like, nobody's ever been in perfect balance, The truth is, balance does not exist. If you're seeking balance in marriage, you're quickly going to be disappointed. Whatever consumes the most of your energy gets the majority of your attention. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. So the reason I say rhythm is because all of us go through different seasons in life, right? We go through seasons of life where usually you have a season where maybe a lot is going on at work and you have to devote a lot of time and energy to work and you can't devote as much time and energy to the home. Or maybe it's reversed. Maybe work is a slow season and you don't have to devote a whole lot of time and energy to work and you're able to pour a bunch of time into your family. This can be a good thing or a bad thing. And this is why rhythm is so important. Rhythm, the simple definition of it is a harmonious sequence. Meaning this, rhythm simply means that you're moving together as a couple. So what I mean when I say work-life balance and talking about those things, it's gotta, you've got to communicate what your schedule is going to look like. So let me give you an example. Hey, babe, this week I'm going to be swamped at work. So this week I'm, I'm probably going to be late some of the nights. I probably won't be able to help out as much with the kids. It's just going to be super busy. We've got a lot going on, and it's going to take a lot of my time. But I promise you this. When I get home, I'm home. I'll shut work down. I'll shut down. I'll be home. I'll be there. I'll spend as much time as I can at the the, the small amount of time that I'm going to have at home this week. But next week, I'm not going to be as busy And so what I'll do is I'll take a day off and we'll have some time where we can go on a date and we'll have some time where we can spend some time with the family. You see, there is this rhythm that goes in play. As you're talking about things, your wife feels confident or your husband feels confident. Hey, well, they're they're not just devoting all their time and energy to work. We've already communicated that after this week is over that we're going to spend some time together. So what does that do? Men, listen, listen to me. This frees you up to devote your time and energy to be the best employee that you can be, but it also comes back around and it allows you to be the best husband that you can be, and your wife doesn't feel like you've just left her all alone to survive by herself. So here's what often happens is we just, we end up devoting tons of time and energy to work, and we didn't tell our wife or we didn't tell our husband that, hey, I'm going to be busy this week. And so what happens? Well, well, it's six o'clock and you're not home yet, or it's six o'clock and you get home and you're spent, and the only thing that you can do is sit in the recliner, and she's wondering, why in the world aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you talking? Why aren't you husbanding? Why aren't you being with the kids? Well, she doesn't know that it's a long week. She didn't know that you were going to be super busy. 
See, in marriage, we've got to learn to stop moving to our own rhythm and leaving our spouse behind to figure it out by themselves. You don't divert all your time and energy to work without communicating what is going on. See, that's why I said in the beginning, most marriage problems are communication problems. See, there's going to be seasons where you're just busier in a certain area, but if you can keep that rhythm and you keep talking about it, it's going to be okay. See, rhythm is understanding that life has seasons, but as long as we're communicating about those seasons, here's what that does, is it keeps us moving together. And that's the most important thing in marriage, that you're always on the same page. There shouldn't be a day in your week where your spouse is surprised, like, oh, I didn't know you were going here. I didn't know that you were doing this. I didn't know that you were going to, like, not come home today. You and your wife should always be, or you and your husband should always be on the same page. So the first thing that we need to talk about is that work-life rhythm. We need to talk about it. And the reason that it's uncomfortable to talk about sometimes is because it's just awkward. Because you can say, hey, I feel like you're working too much. And then the, the response that the husband may give is, well, I got to work. I got to sacrifice for the family, right? So what I got to do. But to what end? To what cost? I don't know about you, but God's never called you to work to the end of your family. Like, I find it so funny here in the South, most of us say family is the most important thing to us, but we spend 80 hours a week and we never see them. Well, I'm providing for them, I'm taking care of them. I'm convinced of this. One day when I grow old, none of my girls or my boys are ever going to look at me and say, Dad, just thank you so much for making tons of money and giving me all the cars that I ever wanted. That's not going to be something that they regret. The thing that they regret is, Dad, you were never home. I never saw you. I never spent time with you. The most important thing that you can give is your time. And it's even communicating with your kids your work-life balance. I have to do that all the time with my kids. Hey, dad's going to be home late tonight, but guess what? Thursday night, I'm taking you to the movies. We're going to eat popcorn. I'll let y'all stay up late, and we're going to have a good time. And we try to communicate what's going on so they're aware. And so in their mind, there's never something as dad's just gone for three days and I haven't seen him. They know, hey, dad's going to be busy for a few days, and then the next few days he's going to be home, and he's going to give us 100% of his attention. It's just communicating about those things. The second thing that's hard for us to talk about in marriage, and I find this one very difficult, is your past. Your past. A lot of us don't really realize how much our past is affecting our future. We don't really realize how much is actually affecting our present. So many of us cannot live in freedom today because we're bound up in yesterday. We're bound up in yesterday. So many of our marriages will never see the desired future unless the chains of the past are broken. So let me give you an example of this. Early on in Claire and I's marriage, we got in so many fights. So many fights over money. How many say money can be a touchy, uh, touchy subject? How many of you have ever been in fights over money? Anybody? Say the, the three most common things or the two most common things that couples fight about and the two most common things that cause divorce is sex and money. So everybody, if you're married in here, you've at least you've fought about money. We used to get in so many fights about money. And, and Claire, if you know Claire, Claire is like the most conservative person in the world. She wouldn't spend money if she didn't have to at all. Like, if, I mean, she could squeeze a dollar out of a penny, and I know that's an oxymoron, but she just knows how to do it. She's a saver, she's a couponer, she's always getting some kind of disc. She never pays full price for anything. 
nothing. I remember in Cozumel on our honeymoon, they were, they were listing this thing at like $10, and she's like, I'll give you $3 for it. I'm like, babe, it's $10. You can't say you want $3 for that. And the guy's like, all right, three bucks. He's like, oh my God. <laughs> she's smart with money, but now let me make a little disclaimer because she's going to listen to this, so I don't want to get myself in trouble, right? <laughs> A lot of the arguments were legitimate, and they were my fault. It was my just stupidity and my recklessness in spending. I'm one of those guys that's like, dude, life is meant to live to the fullest. God has given us money. We're going to die with nothing anyway, so why not spend it all, right? And there's an element of that that is good, because what I have done, if I have pushed her, I'm like, babe, if we don't ever spend money, like we're going to live the most boring life and never have fun. Because of my personality, we've gone on vacations and we've had good times with each other and we've done fun things with the kids. Um, but also because of her personality, we have money in the bank account, right? So over the years, what, what has happened? We, we've balanced each other out and we've learned to work together. But in the very beginning, it was difficult. And it was difficult because of her past. Um, when, when she was younger, her, her parents actually filed bankruptcy twice. And uh, when she was younger, she, she remembers being in a home and one day getting a knock on the door and saying, hey, get out of the house, we're taking everything. And they took the cars and they took the house and they're sleeping in a hotel. And then they go in a few years later and they file bankruptcy again and they have to move in to this trailer. So every time that I would spend money without asking her, her past would come back up and it would immediately render something in her mind of, oh my God, we're going to go bankrupt. Or, oh my God, we're going to be sleeping in a hotel. Or, oh, like, because that undealt with past was never talked about in the beginning of our marriage, and I didn't know that, I didn't know how sensitive it was to her. I didn't realize the scar, the wound that was really on her heart, and the emotions that that brought up for her every time that I spent money without asking her. See, I would bet that there's also issues like that in your marriage. That you don't even realize it, but your spouse gets so insecure or so angry over something that you do. And you're like, well, oh my, what did I do? And it's not that they're necessarily angry at you. It's not even in that moment that you're the target. It's just all of a sudden their past is being triggered and they're thinking about something that used to happen. And maybe the way that their parents treated them or, or something that somebody else said to them. And it's just triggering their past and they're reliving those memories. See, when I was careless with money, she was transported back to the trailer she had to live in. I didn't know that. So, so what had to happen for us? Like we had to deal with that. We had to look at it and say, okay, babe, I'm, I'm not your dad. <laughs> I'm not your parents. Okay, what, what, what makes you feel comfortable with money? Now, I'll be honest with you, and I'm not proud of this. This is something that was really difficult for us, but for us in our marriage, I said, okay, look, for a whole year, I'm not, I'm not going to have, you can have the debit card if that makes you feel comfortable. And like every time I went somewhere, I had to call her and be like, hey, is it okay if I buy a Coke, you know? And it sucked. But what it did is I had to walk through that in order to gain her trust. And sometimes there's going to be things in your own marriage where you feel like, man, this is ridiculous. Why do I have to do this? But you've got to remember something. You're a servant of your spouse. And there may be some things that you don't even realize that the enemy has beat them up with that sometimes as a husband or a wife that you just got to do. 
Like if you want their trust, if you want to be on the same page with money, sex, whatever it is, it's just like, man, sometimes I just got to surrender my right to be able to do something. Like it's not that, like I, I have a right to have a debit card, right? My, my name is on the account. I have a right to do that. But at the same time, I got to go, okay, I, your trust is more important than my privilege, right? Your trust is more important than my right. See, the reason that many of us don't have rhythm in our marriage is because we're dancing to the beat of our past. We're dancing to the beat of our past. We we don't even realize how much our past is affecting us. The reason that I said you can't live the desired future that you want until you deal with the past. So some of you, we've got to go home. We've got to have those conversations about the past. So what do we do to deal with the past? To be honest with you, some of you, like, go to counseling. Go to counseling. And, and listen, I know for men, come on, that sometimes I go to counseling. That's like for, you know, dummies. Dummies go to counseling. Like, why would I ever go to counseling? I've got to humble myself to go to counseling. Can, can I be honest with you? I'm your pastor. I go to counseling with my wife. It's not because Claire and I have a bad marriage. It's because we just want to have a better one. We, we just want to have a better one. It's not because we have a bad one. It, it gives us an outlet. When we don't know how to solve problems, we can sit down with somebody else and we can argue in front of them and she can look at us and say, Zach, you're wrong. And yeah, okay. <laughs> right? Go to counseling. Man, get in the life group. Start talking about these issues. Schedule a meeting with your pastor. Hi. <laughs> Do something. And please, for the love of God, don't use the excuse that it's just too embarrassing or it's just too hard. Because if you don't talk about it, if you don't start communicating about it, you'll never change and you're going to train wreck your marriage. I find it tragic that so many Christians say, well, I just can't talk about that because it's just too difficult to talk about. At some point, we've got to talk about it. And unless we talk about it, it's the only way that it's going to get dealt with. If you just keep stuffing it, here's here's the problem. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It doesn't get any better. You ever like convince yourself of that lie? (laughs) I'll just stuff it and hopefully it'll go away. It never goes away. It actually just gets worse. Your marriage will stagnate and die unless you do something about it. Start having conversations about your past with your spouse. You know what that looks like? There's certain like arguments that Claire and I have gotten in and we just had to have conversations about her father or about my past or about my upbringing or certain things that scarred me as a child. Sometimes you don't even realize it. it, it, And the best way that I can explain it would be this. Have you ever said something? Or let me back up. Have you ever heard something when you were a kid that your dad said and you're like, I'll never say that to my kids. And then all of a sudden your kids do something dumb and you say the same exact thing that your dad said and you're like, oh my God, I'm my father. Here's the truth. You don't realize how much your past marks you. And, and just because you have enough willpower to say, I'll never be like him. Oh, you are. <laughs> a whole lot more than you think. A whole lot more than you think. It's why we have to talk about these things. Because listen to this. This is so important. When your spouse knows your past, it gives them context for your current behavior. It gives them context. So when my wife gets upset with money, like for me, I realize, okay, hold on. I'm not the target here. She's not firing at me. She's not mad at me. It's triggering something in her past, and I just got to learn to pull back, and now I know the real issue to deal with, rather than firing back and trying to argue with her. She's not really mad at me. See, when they know context, it's easier to extend grace. 
when you know why your spouse is frustrated about something and you realize that you're not the target, it's just so much easier to say, you know what, I extend grace to that because I understand she's not frustrated or he's not frustrated at me. Most importantly, I want you to know that if you are in Christ, your past does not define you. Your past doesn't define you. I love the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're going to talk about this a little bit in our, our series coming up next Sunday. But here's the truth. Too many of us, too many of us, cannot live today here in the present. We'll never get to the desired future that we want to be in until we deal with the past until we deal with it. So I, I see it two ways. The past is the past, and there's nothing that you can do to change it. So why sit around for years regretting it <laughs> when there's nothing that you can do to change it? It's literally living in the freedom that Christ extends to us and offers us, and he says, hey, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has been washed away, and the new has come. So make sure we're talking about our past. So number one, your work-life rhythm Number two, your past. Number three, uh, you probably didn't think this one would be in here, but it is your health. Your health. Now, let's just be honest. This is a hard topic to discuss because there's so many ways to get it wrong, <laughs> right? There's so many ways to get this one wrong, like diet book on the table, bad idea, <laughs> right? Treadmill for Christmas, bad idea. Monitoring what your spouse eats, not a good idea, right? There's so many ways to get this topic wrong, but you need to have this conversation no matter how difficult it's going to be because here's the truth. The energy you give your family, your job, your sex life can be a direct result of your health. Did you know this? I don't know if you know this, but like your health is spiritual. It's spiritual, could it be that maybe your sex life is not as vibrant because your health is lacking? Could it be that you're so stressed out and you don't know how to deal with that because your health life is lacking? You know one of the best things that I can do, and my wife reminds me of it all the time, like when I'm stressed out, she's like, babe, just go run. Go on a run, go work out, go to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym, Mom. I hate the gym. <laughs> I don't want to run. But what's crazy is every time I'm stressed and every time I, I go on a run, it's like I just burn it all off. And I can come home, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father. See, your health is spiritual. Third John, many of you probably didn't even know that book existed, but Third John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, My dear friend, I pray that everything may go well with you and that you may be in good health as I know you are in good health spirit. Did you hear what he just said there? He's saying your spiritual life is t tied to your physical life. He says, I know that you're in good health because you're in good spirit. Or you could reverse it. I know you're in good spirit because you're in good health. How do we rightly address the health issue? How do we rightly look at our spouse and say, hey, you need to get healthy? <laughs> how do we do that? Here's how we do it. We appeal to our spouse out of concern, not shame. We appeal to our spouse out of concern, not shame. Listen, my wife is a health fanatic. I love Nutter Butters, okay? 
My wife is a health, she runs. Um, most of you know that she ran all, I mean, literally, her due date, she ran a 5K marathon. Um, she's, she's crazy, crazy. She, she eats healthy, she watches what she puts in her body, and I just, I have a super high metabolism, so I have this, I, okay, I can just eat whatever I want, but like, I go to the doctor, and I've got high blood pressure, and I'm stressed out, and my insides are screaming, right? My wife is always, always appealing to me about health. Babe, just go run, go work out. And she never does it out of shame. She does it out of concern. So it looks something like this. Babe, I want you to live a long life. I want you to enjoy your grandkids. I want you to have energy when you come home. You ever find that? Like you give all of your energy to work and then you get home, you're like, dude, I'm spent, I'm done. Like, the only thing that you can do is sit in your crying and just, uh, <laughs> that's it. And a lot of that is directly related to your health. My wife will say things, hey, would you consider making some changes to your diet so that you can have more energy, so that you can be more present? So, so when we're talking about this issue, we never do it out of shame. We, here's men, women, this is the worst thing that you can do. You never make comparisons. Well, they work out. Why don't you? Listen, I don't, let me just give you a little tip, men. When you marry your wife, your wife is your standard of beauty, not anybody else. That's it. She's the standard. That's it. And because you love her and because you're concerned about her, you appeal to her out of concern rather than shame if it's a health issue. You appeal to her out of concern. Babe, I just want you to live a long life. I want you to be here for the kids. You know what I hate about this culture is how we have, we have put certain body types or women or men up on this pedestal of what we're supposed to look like. like the, the beauty of God's creation and God's design is that everybody is different and uniquely wired and designed. Like if everybody was the same, it would just be boring. So at the same time, what do we do when we come to our spouse and we deal with these issues? We're not looking to other people. We're not making comparisons. We're not wishing something else. We just come to them out of concern. I want a long life. I want you to be here for a long time. And I'm concerned about your health. Number four, this is the one (laughs) you knew was coming. Okay, number four, your sex life. Your sex life. This is super, super important. Now, I I left this one last because this is the one that most of us, we don't know how to talk about this. We just don't know how to talk about it because it's awkward, because it's weird. Even with your wife or even with your husband, it's just like, how do I, like, how do I address this? How do I talk about this? And unfortunately, there's a vicious cycle when it comes to sex. Pay, Pay careful attention to this. It's hard to want it when you feel emotionally detached, right? So when you feel disconnected from that person, you you don't really want to have sex. But it's equally hard to feel emotionally attached to that person without physical intimacy. So it's this cycle, right? I don't want to, but at the same time, it is the glue in your marriage that makes you feel connected. Like God created it, and it's a good thing. Like God wasn't like in the garden and created Adam and Eve. and was like, oh my God, what are y'all doing? (laughs) Like that's not what happened. He created it. He designed it. And you know what bothers me is that we fail to talk about this topic in the church because we're like, oh my God, that's just weird. It's disgusting. Listen, it's not disgusting. 
We all do it, <laughs> right? It's something that God created, and it's something that is good, and it's something that should happen often in our marriage. But because of our past, but because of perversions, because of pornography, because of all kinds of things, it can get tangled. And whether we realize it or not, God created sex to be a bonding agent in marriage. So let me argue this for a second. Why is consistent sex so important? Number one, it's fun. (laughs) It's fun. Like, that's just it. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) Sermon over, let me pray. (laughs) But here's the truth. Fun in marriage is vital, isn't it? Listen, remember when you were dating and you had a blast together and you did stupid things? I remember one time when my wife and I were dating. Um, everybody knows this about me. I'm a, I'm a daredevil and uh, I always do things that you shouldn't do. It's not necessarily a personality trait that she's super fond of because I scare her to death half of the time. But remember us, we were dating. It was probably like three or four days before we're about to get married. We're engaged, we're actually engaged, and we're in Lake Charles. And anybody know off of, um, right off of 210, that abandoned parking garage when you look in Lake Charles, and you know that big, it used to be a casino parking garage, and they have all these sciences, no trespassing, stay out. Well, to me, that's a suggestion, right? It's not necessarily something that you should do. So I remember being engaged, and I was like, man, it would be awesome, awesome if we could climb up to the top of this parking garage and take a picture. We'll get some good scenery. And I remember us, like, we're jumping the gate, and she's, like, in this skirt like this, you know. And uh, I remember I end up splitting my pants, and we're up here at this top of this parking garage, and snap this picture. I'm like, this is awesome. And she's like, let's go. Let's get down. And we see these, bar- these sirens. And my wife's like, oh, my God, we're going to get arrested. And we take off running. What is that? That's fun. That's fun. Some of you is like, that's terrible. That's a nightmare. But I want you to think about something. Remember when you were dating and you just did dumb things because there was no reason, just simply because it was fun. Like fun is something vital in your marriage. You never want your relationship to get to a point where it's just like, man, I am so bored with you. Because when you get to that place, what happens is the enemy begins to lie about certain things, and you begin to believe the lie of, like, I've, I've always hated it, like, uh, people say this all the time, or you hear people in culture and the world say this, like, why would I ever get married? Because, you know, when you get married, it's like sex stops, <laughs> right? The truth is, it's something that's vital, so it's something that's fun. So number one, why is consistent sex important? Number one, it's fun. Number two, it keeps you connected, keeps you connected. The very act communicates that you are solely devoted to your spouse. Like, you cannot have sex right before an argument. It forces you to resolve the issue, right? You have to come to a place where you're like, okay, we got to resolve this if this is going to happen. Number three, it keeps you vulnerable. It keeps you vulnerable. See, sex requires vulnerability and trust, and it keeps you at a place where you have to root yourself to be trusted in your, or to trust your spouse. So let's talk about some things real quick that kill physical intimacy. What just kills the mood? What kills the desire? What is it? Number, the number one thing that kills it is you make your spouse earn it. It's the number one thing that kills it. If you want it, then you got to earn it. you gotta, you got to pull me in. And you may say, well, he doesn't deserve it or she doesn't deserve it. But feeling your spouse's 
sexual need when they don't only mean, and when they don't want to only means that you look a whole lot more like Jesus. Let me, let me say that again. Fulfilling your spouse sexually when they don't want it only means you are learning to love them like Jesus did. What if God only answered your prayers when he wanted to? What if God only answered your prayers when you deserved it? So that's the number one thing that kills physical intimacy. You make your spouse earn it. Or number two, you only have sex when you both feel like it. See, in Christianity, it's not about what you feel like, is it? It's not about what you feel like. At the end of the day, marriage, we learn it's about serving one another. It's not about feelings. Like, I don't know about you, but I wake up some mornings and I don't feel in love with my wife. You ever wake up and you're like, I don't feel anything. And sometimes it's a constant choice to go, okay, today I'm going to serve her. Today I'm going to do things, some actions that stir up those emotions and stir up those feelings. And some of you in here, you're like, well, what if they've had a headache for seven years? What do I do? (laughs) Here's what you do. You serve them by being patient with them and you let God deal with them. Here's the truth. Listen, you need to hear this in marriage. Let God be God. Let God be God. Too many times, as a spouse, we take on, they're like, okay, there's God, Jesus, and then me, your spouse, the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Right? Like, let God be God. Let God be God. And sometimes the best thing that you can do is serve them. And listen, I don't want to just give you my opinion on this. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is verse 3. It says, It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong. That's in the Bible, just to let you know that. But marriage, listen to this, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Maybe you've never heard this in the church before, but your sex drive or whatever you want to call it is designed by God. And marriage is to be a place where that drive is satisfied or your spouse, if it's not satisfied, they're going to look for it in other outlets. So what, it, what is the Bible saying? It says, listen, it is a normal, innate thing that God has placed inside of every human being. And if it's not fulfilled within the context of marriage, your spouse is dangerously going to look somewhere else. And it may not be physically. It could be emotionally. Maybe emotionally they attach to someone else because they don't feel physically or emotionally connected with you. And then the verse goes on. It says, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. mutuality. What does that mean? It's a place where both on even ground. We're both serving each other. It says, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Now listen to this. This is so important. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out of bed. Listen, there's going to be times when we don't feel in the mood, but we're called to serve. Marriage equals servants. That's what it is. If you are, the whole reason, listen, I I tell people this all the time. If you want to look a whole lot more like Jesus, just get married. (laughs) Like if you want to speed up the track to your sanctification and God doing some things in your heart, just get married. 
Just get married. Like, my relationship has grown leaps and bounds with Jesus ever since I've been married to Claire. Why? It's because all of a sudden, like, there's blind spots in my life that I didn't even know that I had until God puts a woman in my life and she starts pointing them out, right? And, and vice versa. And the verse goes on, it says, abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time. Now watch this, if you both agree to it. <laughs> if you both agree to it. And it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such time. So do not use the excuse, well, I've just been fasting for seven years. No, you have not. See, when Paul mentions abstaining, he's saying make sure you both agree and watch this. Make sure you have communicated the terms. Make sure you have communicated the terms. Never have that? It's like one spouse maybe wants to and the other doesn't, but nobody ever says anything, so one spouse goes to bed frustrated and angry, and the other spouse wakes up in the morning, and they're frustrated, like, what is going on? And it's because there was never any communication. The most devastating thing that you can do is to withhold without a valid reason. To withhold without a valid reason. To withhold because you're trying to make your spouse earn it. Or to, to withhold because you're trying to make your... Whatever your excuse may be. And then Paul says this. Then come back together again. Now watch this. This is important. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. He says, I'm not understand commanding these periods of abstinence. Only providing my best counsel if you choose them. Listen. Remember the quote I stated in the beginning, assumptions are the termites of relationships. It's the same way in your sexual life with your spouse. If you just assume that everything is fine, it's probably not. You've got to start talking about it. You've got to start praying about it. You've got to start having these conversations. So as I bring this to a close, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I encourage you to go home, pray, seek Jesus, and start having these conversations. Look at these four. And now listen, I know there's a ton of other things. We could have talked about parenting. We could have talked about finances. We could have talked about a ton of different things. I know there's a bunch of things that I left out. But take these topics, your work life, your sex life, your health, your past. Start talking about them. Start communicating about them. Hey, when would be a good time to talk about this? You know, my wife and I, usually when we're in the best um, frame of mind or in the best spot of our marriage is when we're talking about the things that we don't really want to talk about. When we're having the conversations that may seem awkward and they seem like, man, I don't, I don't even know how to bring this up. Listen, if you, if you think you feel awkward, I'm sure your spouse does as well. And if you can just realize that and you can own that awkwardness together, it usually kind of cuts the tension. Hey, we both feel kind of uncomfortable talking about this. It's kind of weird to talk about this issue or this topic. But listen, if you don't talk about them, here's what you're doing. You're giving the enemy ground. It's like a termite that just begins to eat away. And slowly that bitterness sleeps in. And slowly it begins to attack the foundation of your house. And before you know it, it's starting to fall down. See, my goal and my passion and my heart for you this morning is this, that you're not having to go look back seven years later and the house is crumbling in and you're having to do a ton of repairs. My goal this morning was to maybe help you realize, okay, man, we've got a few termites and let's just get them out of here and treat it and go on.
Did you know this at the marriage statistic that 50% of marriages last? And did you know that the statistic is no different in the church? 50-50. I mean, your chance is one in two. You got 50-50 odds that your marriage is going to last. I guarantee you, you can increase these odds just by talking about it. Communicating about your frustrations. Communicating about the things that bother you. Communicating about the issues that you've been avoiding. 